Good morning. I thought this was a late service. Is everyone awake? Uh, uh, you're not supposed to criticize the congregation. Bible College 101. We are starting a new series today called Hot Buttons. I'm just getting my screen up here. Why would we choose to teach on such challenging topics as these? Well, it's because um, we are all hearing about these things, but not necessarily a biblical perspective when we consider how our world addresses these topics and the way even our young people are bombarded uh, by the world's philosophy of these things. Uh, if you're a parent, you know the challenge of navigating technology with our children. So we just felt as elders it's time for us to tackle some of these issues head on, and that's what this series is about. So today we're going to kind of start an introductory message, uh, but we're going to be tackling these uh, subjects over the next couple of months. Some of them will even be over a couple of Sundays. Now we actually, before we even had this series nailed down, we had planned and already scheduled to have some visiting speakers with us. So some of those guys are gonna be participating and others will be doing open topics because we didn't want to force them to teach on some of these challenging issues. Uh, but next Sunday, uh, Doug Loveday, who was the transitional pastor here a couple of years ago, is gonna be teaching on marriage, which he has taught on many times, and so we're grateful for that. Uh, Pastor Wayne has put together a resource page with the help of some others. So if you go to the church webpage, you'll see the hot button there. And you can click on that button and get to a resource page that looks like this. Uh, some of these uh, subcategories are not populated yet with information, but the first two are, including our subject for today, Thinking Biblically, and next week's as well on marriage. So if if you're interested in learning more about any of these topics, looking for some extra resource help, uh, you can go there. And of course, uh, the elders and pastors and staff are also willing to, uh, to give any help we can. So we're going to turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 12 this morning to kick off this series with two verses that uh, for some of you are well known, for others perhaps not, but two verses that I have uh, been deeply impacted by in my own life. And I hope that you'll see why uh, we, we think that, or I think these are helpful verses to introduce this hot button series with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, if you would, would you stand with me? We're going to read the Word of God. So let's show our reverence for the Lord and His Word as we stand, and I'll read this for us. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of God. And we pray now, Lord, that your spirit would open our hearts and minds, the, the eyes of our hearts and minds, to see and understand your word. I pray that you would make our hearts submissive, not hard, not hardened against your word, but submissive and soft to hear 
and respond to your holy word. I pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. One of the interesting features of this passage is a phrase that we see in both of these verses. Notice in verse one, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then we see it at the end of the second verse. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I hope we're here today as a congregation, a church family, with hearts that are deeply desiring to please the Lord. Is that true of you today? Uh, Do you come today with a desire to please the Lord? Hopefully you're not here today just to please your spouse or just to uh, please someone who's watching to see if you showed up in church today. But hopefully we're here today to please the Lord. And as we live our lives, I hope that our desire is to please the Lord. And as we consider those hot button topics that we're going to be studying, as we consider them and as we seek to navigate our way through those, I hope our desire is to please the Lord. Well, uh, I see that phrase bookending this passage and the question is how? How do we please the Lord? And the passage actually answers the question for us. First of all, to please the Lord We have to worship God, not self. Notice how he begins in verse one. He says, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He says, this is your true and proper worship. Now let's understand where Paul has been in the book of Romans. Up to the end of of chapter 11, He's been giving a full and beautiful explanation of salvation, of salvation through Christ, or of the gospel as he wrote about in the first chapter. He's been explaining to his readers how God saves sinners and what it all means. And then he ends chapter 11 by bursting into worship with a doxology. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. So he's explained the beauty of salvation, then he bursts into worship in response to what God has done, and then in chapter 12, he begins to provide some application. In light of what God has done in salvation, and particularly for those of you who say that you're saved, who say that you're followers of Christ, In light of what God has done, here's how we ought to live. That's why the word therefore is the first word of chapter 12. In light of everything I've taught you about uh, the gospel and about salvation, here's how you should respond. And notice what he says. In view of God's mercy, God's mercy and salvation, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, before we get into any of the technical aspects and theological aspects of any of these hot button issues, we have to get this right. And that is that there is a God, have you heard this expression? There is a God and I'm not him. Before we can get any of our thinking right on any of these issues, we have to understand who God is and who we are. In fact, I would argue that the reason these issues are so problematic for us is because the world is teaching us in our culture today and pressing us into this idea that we are the ones who sit on the throne. 
We are the ones who sit on the thrones of our lives. What's most important is for us to discover who we are and be true to ourselves and find fulfillment for ourselves. That's what's most important. And what we have to be able to discern in that is the whispers and the echoes from Genesis chapter three. After God creates a good and beautiful and perfect world and universe in Genesis chapter one and two, creating human beings and placing them in a beautiful garden, saying this is very good, in comes the voice of Satan, who begins to tempt first Eve and begins to cause her to question what God has said. In fact, the heart of the temptation in Genesis chapter three is he says to her, if you eat the forbidden fruit, you will be like God. That is at the heart of every sin. First of all, deception is at the heart of every sin. And then this idea that I will live based on what is right for me. I will make choices based on what feels good for me. And that is how we are taught to live our lives. And at the, at the very core of that is this issue that our worship is disordered. That instead of seeing a creator God who is above all, who I am accountable to, I find myself accountable only to one person and only to one philosophy. I'm accountable to me and my job is to fulfill me. And Paul says that's wrong. In light of who God is, in light of the creation story, in light of how sin came into the world, in light of how God has brought this beautiful redemption that we've just been singing about, in light of all of that, here's what's reasonable. Here's what's right. Here's how you will worship God. Be a living sacrifice. In other words, get this in the right order. If you look down there, you'll see at the end of verse one, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is a phrase that's a little bit difficult to uh, translate, but one of the words that's translated here is a Greek word, it's the word that we get our word logic from. In other words, what Paul is saying is, in light of who God is and what he's done, here's what's logical. Here's what's logical based on what is true. Here's your logical way of worshiping God. Be a living sacrifice. Now, I know that doesn't sound very appealing to lay our lives on an altar, but when we offer our lives to the God who made us, when we surrender ourselves to our creator and our redeemer, the one who wants us to live under his blessing and in his presence. We have surrendered ourselves into the greatest and most blessed place we could ever discover in all of our lives, in all of the universe. God is calling us to do what actually is best for us. It's not just what he deems best for him. This is actually what's best for us. Be a living sacrifice to God. So we need to understand this. In order to be well-pleasing to God, and as we walk through all of these hot-button issues, in order to please God in all of those issues, we start with this one. We worship God and not self. God is God and I am not. That's the first thing. <clears throat> then Paul talks about a second thing as we come to verse two. He says we 
we must not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, or I'm gonna say it this way, reject the world's pattern for your life. Now, when my grandmother was alive, she had, uh, she had a fabric store. Ladies, I don't know how many of you are into these kinds of things. Um, she had a fabric store in Bancroft, Ontario. So in the middle of nowhere, she had a fabric store. It just kept getting bigger and bigger. So she uh, started a fabric store in her house, so she added a piece to her house. And then that wasn't big enough, so she added an outbuilding. And then she outgrew that, so then she moved into town. Uh, and she was selling fabric, and she would sell patterns for dresses and those kinds of things. And every once in a while, my mom would buy a pattern and she'd make a dress for uh, my sisters. And this is what the world is wanting to do for The world has a pattern, a philosophy, a way of thinking, a way of living. And we all, we all see this around us, the way that the world is trying to press us into a pattern of living, a philosophy of living that is not God's. In fact, what we're seeing in our day is exactly what happened in Genesis chapter three, where there is an outside influence, an influence that is not God. It's not from him, it's not his word. An influence that is pressing in on us and causing us to question God's word and question God's ways. <clears throat> in fact, in Genesis one and two, we read that God created humanity, men and women, in his image. Do you realize that's kind of a similar idea here to what we're reading about in Romans 12? God created us to be made in his image, to be a reflection of who he is, so that as we functioned in the world and oversaw his creation, and as we related to each other, as, rela as we related to God, we would actually see reflections of God in each other, and he would see a reflection of himself in us. And the world now is trying to make us in its image. The world is trying to press us into, in fact, this word conform means to be pressed into a shape. It's like a Play-Doh thing, you know, where you, I used to play with Play-Doh and you'd get your ball of Play-Doh and then get that mold and press the mold down and wow, I made that. The world is trying to press us into its mold, into its image, its philosophy of life. And as we've seen, its philosophy of life is contrary to God. Now let me be careful to say, not, not everything that happens in the world, everything that the world does is wrong, because human beings are still made in the image of God even, even though we're sinners. So there are things that are happening in the world today. Think of the, of the war in Ukraine and some of the ways that other human beings are seeking to help. We see beauty in many things that human beings do, even if they're not followers of Jesus because they bear the image of God and they're still reflections of him. But we're also sinners and the world as a system, and that's really what the word world means here, is, is in terms of the world's influence, its philosophy over us, it is seeking to make us in its image. And the world's philosophy is me first. Not God first, me, me first. And so Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. We have to make a conscious effort as followers of Jesus to be aware of the way the world is trying to press in on us and influence us away from God, and we have to reject that. As we deal with some of these hot button issues, we have to see how that plays a part in these issues. Reject the world's pattern for your life. I sat across 
from a man a few years ago who was a professing, I think still would say, he is a professing follower of Jesus, but was on the verge of abandoning his wife and his marriage. And his explanation to me as his pastor was, I think God just wants me to be happy. Folks, that's not from God's word. That's not, that's not God's philosophy of marriage. And I realize there are extreme situations where a person has to, at the very least temporarily, leave a marital setting. The world says, you just need to be happy. You need to look out for yourself. God is saying to his people, no, I want you to be like me. I'm seeking to use the circumstances of your life and, and I, I'm seeking to use my spirit within you and my word as you learn it to transform you back to what my original intent was, which was I wanted you to be in my image fully. I wanted you to be like me. I wanted you to be godlike in your character and in your behavior. And salvation brings back what was lost because of sin. God made human beings in his image and because they sinned, this whole beautiful tapestry got twisted into knots and redemption comes in, God's plan of salvation comes in to untwist everything that sin had ruined and broken. God says, no, no, I still want you to be in my image. In fact, the scripture teaches that now in Christ, we're literally being made into the image of Christ. Romans chapter uh, 8 verse 29 says, says that, that we, we've been predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. So our original makeup made in the image of God, great. But in redemption, we've, we're actually moving beyond that into a place where we take on the image of the human son of God, fully man, fully divine. And the word of God says that, uh, I think I mentioned last week, he who has begun a good work in us will complete it. And it will be fully completed, it says in 1 John, when we stand before Christ. When we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. God's intention is for us to be fully made in his image. The world says, no, we have an image. We have a pattern. We want you to conform to this. And as Christians, we have to be aware that the world is pressing us into its mold and we have to reject that. Are we aware as we consume social media and as we consume the world's ideas and other people's ideas through social media, are we aware that the world is trying to press us into its mold? I'm not one to say we should never watch television or movies. But are we aware? Even parents, as we sit down and watch uh, Disney movies with our kids, that there is a philosophy there that we have to be aware of, that we have to make our children aware of. As we listen to the radio, yeah, even country music, has a way of pressing us into a worldly way of thinking that we have to be aware of. And we have to reject the world's pattern for our life. That's the second thing, to be well-pleasing to God. Get your worship ordered right. You don't worship yourself, you worship God. Reject the world's pattern for your life. Be aware of the world's philosophy pressing in against you. Reject that. 
And then thirdly, as we also see in verse 2, be transformed. Now when Paul says to us, be transformed, he's not suggesting to us that, that it's up to us to transform ourselves. In fact, what we've seen in the book of Romans is that it's God's salvation, his redemption that transforms us. It's God who transforms us. It's his Holy Spirit within us who is transforming us. If you're a follower of Jesus, we can say according to God's word that you are saved. Once saved, always saved. But you're also in a process of salvation. That's here the word is transformed. In other, other places of the Bible, it calls it sanctification, where we are being made holy over time. And that job will be completed when we stand before Jesus. <clears throat> so what is the command here? Be transformed. It's not transform yourself. The way we need to understand this is allow God. Allow God to do his transforming work in your life. Isn't it sad that often the greatest roadblock to our transformation as Christians is ourselves? And so God's word says to us, don't stand in the way of what God is seeking to do in you. Be transformed. Allow God to unleash what he's waiting to unleash in your life. Don't stand in the way. Don't close the valve of God's transforming work in your life. Open yourself to it. Allow his work to flow in you. How does that happen? Well, we're going to see it's going to happen through God's word. It's going to happen through our obedience. It's going to happen through faith. The same faith that brings me to salvation when I trust Christ to save me, that is the same faith that I need to walk day by day with God and Christ as he teaches me how to live and I choose to obey him even when it's hard. When I go against the world's philosophy, we need, God's, we need faith in God for all of this. To be well-pleasing to God requires we worship God, not self. We reject the world's pattern for our life, its philosophy of what life is about. And number three, we allow God to transform us. So I, I just want to ask some personal questions here. Someone, someone kind of questioned uh, one of our staff members, I won't mention names, but thought that one of our small group questions was much too personal last week. So let me just get it out of the way now. We won't save it for the small group questions. Let me just ask some personal questions. How are you resisting the world's influence in your life? How are you resisting the conformity, the way the world is trying to press you into its mold, are you? The scary thing is that if we're being pressed into the world's mold, we may not even recognize it. One of the ways might be that as you hear uh, someone like me preaching a sermon like this, you have, there's something in your heart that's crossing its arms saying, that's what you think. We need to be responsive to God's word. It's not about what I say, it's about what God's word says. Are we being submissive and soft-hearted towards his word? How about transformation? How have we seen God changing us over these last few weeks, these last few years, which have had many challenges? How is God changing us? What has changed in you lately? If I were to say to you a question that I find challenging myself, it's a 
great question we can ask one another. What, what do you perceive is your next step? Where is God leading you next in your Christian life? What is it that God wants you to deal with? Uh, how is God wanting to change your character? This is transformation. This is what the Christian life is about. And we shouldn't have to rack our brains to think, when's the last time I was even convicted about something in my life? If I haven't been convicted about something in my life, it's not because my life's perfect. It's because I've not opened my heart, prayerfully opened my heart to the work of God. I am so far, I am so far from being like Jesus. How about you? But the more we are like Christ, the more our lives will impact our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends and our family. God wants to make us like Jesus. Are we allowing that work to go forward? How does this happen? How does God transform us? Well, the passage gives us an answer to that as well. It says that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So there it is. It's by the renewing of our mind that we are transformed. Now we see this in many places in the Bible and it's interesting because I grew up in the 80s and 90s and it was you know, some of those first generations when we were hearing a lot about the power of positive thinking and things like that, uh, which of course we, we might see dangers to, but what's interesting is the Bible talks a lot about the power of our thinking, many places. And the reason for that is this. This is what I've come to see from scripture and understand from my own life, is that our actions come from choices, our choices come from beliefs, our beliefs come from our thoughts or what we think about. Or turn it around and say it this way, our thoughts lead to our beliefs, our beliefs lead to our choices, our choices lead to our actions. And in other words, the way that we are living our lives can always, always be unraveled back to our worldview. The way we understand life, the way we understand ourselves, and the way we understand God. The way we live always boils down to this, what we think about the most important issues of life. The world, my circumstances, myself, and God. And so it's the renewing, notice, it's the renewing of our minds. The thoughts that come to us naturally, which for some of us, those are the thoughts that we live by day by day, even as Christians. We just live by natural thoughts, natural impressions that come to us. That's how we make our choices. But here the scripture is saying, no, no, you, you need your mind renewed. And the word literally means to freshen up. It means to be made new. Our minds have to be made new, the, the way that we think as human beings. And we get into so much trouble because some of us, myself included, I think I'm so smart. I think I got this. I understand how the world works. I understand how I work. I understand what's best. And so I make choices and, and I form beliefs and I, which lead to actions based on me thinking I know what God's word is saying. No, actually, your mind needs to be renewed. The way that you naturally think, the way that you think, if you've been influenced by the world or if you've been influenced by the devil or even just your own personal thinking on things, that needs to be renewed. Your mind has to be renewed. In order for you to be transformed, your mind has to be transformed. The way you think 
has to be transformed. Notice the power of this in so many places, and I won't show you all of the scriptures, but where our mind is so crucial to the Christian life. Those who live according to the flesh or our humanness have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. There's so many places in the Bible that talk this way, that it's through our minds, it starts in our minds, that our thinking has to change, our understanding of ourselves and God has to change. And then the next question comes. We say, how are we transformed? Bible answers by the renewing of your mind. Next question, how do we renew our minds? What do we put into our minds that will lead to transformation? Do we know the answer to that one? Hopefully we do, and it is God's word. It is the truth of God's word that transforms us. So Ephesians 5, Paul writes about this. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Don't you love that? That's a great way to freshen something up, wash it. It is God's word that washes and renews and freshens our minds. Don't you find this to be true as you read the Bible? Over and over and over, the Bible confronts our wrong thinking. Wrong thinking about God and wrong thinking about sin and wrong thinking about myself. And over and over, I'm confronted by that. And God transforms my thinking, which transforms my believing or my, my heart. And it transforms my choices, which transforms my life. It is God's word that renews our minds. Jesus said it. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Folks, one of the powerful messages of the world pressing us into its mold is you can't trust the Bible. I'm sure we have people sitting here today that are just kind of wondering, and it's actually a great question. I'm not trying to mock this at all. Can we trust the Bible? Should I trust the Bible? Great question. If you're not sure why, I'm not going to have time today to tell you why I trust the Bible, but there's lots of great answers for that. The devil will always be causing us to question God's word. You go to university, you'll have profs who mock the idea of trusting this old-fashioned book completely out of touch. And yet Jesus, and this is one of the reasons why I trust God's word, is because the most beautiful man, beautiful life ever lived on this planet was lived by a person who loved God's word. And it's so fascinating to go back into the Gospels and look at how Jesus quoted the Bible and look how Jesus used the Bible when he faced temptation and look how Jesus referenced the Bible, even crazy things like Jonah. Yeah, Jesus believed in Jonah's, Jonah and the whale. I believe God's word because Jesus believed God's word and Jesus says it's the truth of God's word that will set you free. And it's if you hold to my teaching, the teaching of my word that makes you my disciple. 
And if you know my teaching, you'll know the truth. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The world will always be saying, why would you believe that stupid book? And Jesus says, this is where freedom is found. So let me just say this in terms of why I believe the Bible. Reminds me of a quote of a guy who was trying to find life's answers and he was exploring various religions and various religious books until finally he was given a Bible. Sat down under a tree and read the Bible and when his spouse, his wife came along and said, what are you reading? He said, I have finally found a book that reads me. And that is why I believe the Bible is because as I read the Bible, I hear it speaking to the realities of my own brokenness, the reality of my own longings for redemption, the reality of a God who is our maker, who is holy, the reality of, of hope that there is something that we can hold on to for the future. And all of these things are found in God's word. If you need more than that, I'd be happy to sit with you and others would too as to why we can trust the word of God. It's through God's word that our minds are renewed. Jesus prayed this about all of us, all of his followers, praying to God, sanctify them. There's that word, transform them by the truth, your word is truth. This is the Christian life. The Christian life is all about transformation. Some of these difficult issues that we'll talk about, we will hear the world saying to us, yeah, but that's just the way I am. And we will hear the word saying to us, but God just loves me the way I am. And the answer from God's word is, yes, God loves you the way you are, but Jesus died to transform you to be like he is. We need God's word. So it's such an important question as to how, how regularly are we dousing our minds with the word of God. First home I bought, I was in the town of Kirkland Lake, 24,000 I bought a house for in 1996. It was owned by an elderly person who was a chain smoker. There were burns in the carpet. I'm, not, I'm surprised the, the home didn't burn down. There was burns all over the carpet from cigarettes. Walls were yellow. I lived there for two years and it still didn't smell right when I left. And that's the truth about me. It's because of my sinfulness and because of my brokenness and the twistedness of my life, the work of cleaning me and changing me and freshening me, transforming me into Jesus is a big job. And God says, be transformed. Allow me to do this work. How do we do that? By embracing and receiving God's word into us. That is the greatest way we resist the world's conforming influence is by upholding the word of God and reading it regularly and studying and meditating on it day by day. Just chatting with someone after the first service who said, I drive a truck and I listen to a lot of sermons. Folks, that's what it looks like to resist the conforming power of the world and to receive 
the transforming power of God is to receive God's word in all of these various forms and avenues that God has blessed us with. Renew your mind with the word of God. Be transformed. This is the great message of redemption. This is God's work in us, that he has blessed us with a transforming work, changes our lives, and makes us like Jesus. That is not something that we should condemn. It's not something that we should be embarrassed about in our Christian message. It is something that we celebrate. So we're going to do that as we close. We'll have the worship team come. We're going to sing a song of celebration, and then I'll come back and close in prayer. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be full of wonder, praise, just as Paul's was as he finished his words describing your salvation and broke into that doxology. I pray that you'd fill our hearts with wonder at what you've done for us. And we think of the words that Paul wrote earlier in Romans, who will deliver us from this body of death? Uh, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord Jesus, you are, are our hope. I pray that we'd leave here today ready to resist the world's conforming influence in our lives. Help us to leave here today as worshipers, ready to lay our lives on the altar because you are God and we are not. Help us, Lord, to leave here today with hearts wide open to your transforming work. Show us ways, Lord, in which you want to change us, make us more like Jesus. And Lord, this is what our world needs. And even as we talk about these issues that are difficult, I pray that we would approach them with the kindness of Jesus, uh, that we would have his grace, that we'd be full of grace and truth as we work through these hot button issues. And we pray that your word would um, uh, illuminate us and guide us in all of this. Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, we'd have a renewed desire to read and know and have our lives and minds washed by your word. Would you make that true of us today, Lord, all for your glory, we pray. Amen.